Good morning. We bring you greetings in the Lord's name this morning. It's good to be back in the valley again after a number of years. Um, those of you who do not know me, most of you probably know me. I don't know many of you, but um, my wife grew up here. This is her home church, home church area, and it's good to be back again this morning. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 12 this morning for a meditation. I, uh, sometimes you struggle when you travel. Uh, at home, we have certain series and topics and things we work through. When you travel, what do you share on? And uh, I felt led to share this message here this morning. Um, probably more because it has something that the Lord continues to place his finger on in my life more than what anything I know here. But I know that we as children of God face similar struggles. I, I imagine human nature is just as similar here as it is in northern Minnesota. And so I hope and pray that as we look at this here this morning, that which the Lord has convicted my heart to draw closer to him can be useful in your journey as well. The title of the message this morning is The Enticement of the Convenient. And so I'd like to look at some verses here uh, in 1 Kings chapter 12. And I want to get, set the stage for this a little bit first. This is looking at the time right after the kingdoms of, of Israel had split. You know, the kingdom of Solomon was an incredibly, incredibly wealthy kingdom. You know, Solomon had ruled over the kingdom during a time when there was so much wealth in Jerusalem that it says silver became the same as stones. Now, I don't know what it's like for you. Years ago, when I was little, I used to pick up the pennies in the Walmart parking lot, and you know what? Now I walk right by them. I don't, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not worth it. But if you saw a $10 bill floating in the Walmart parking lot, would you stop and pick it up? You know, somehow there was so much wealth in the time of Israel during Solomon's reign that silver became as stones. And that, I, it's hard for me to fathom uh, in, that, in that way. But now there were two kingdoms. Now you had the tribe of Judah primarily, and some of the tribe of Levi, and if I'm not mistaken, the tribe of Benjamin, formed up the southern kingdom. And the rest of the kingdoms were all to the north. The rest of the tribes, excuse me, were all to the northern kingdom. And I don't know where the Levites were. I imagine they served in the temple. If you have, some of you have uh, advice or um, wisdom for me that I didn't, I didn't gather in this, I'd, I'd appreciate hearing it afterwards. I presume that the tribe of Levi was primarily in around Jerusalem because it was their job to serve at the temple. That's where they were. They were not given any land when the children of Israel conquered the land of Canaan. And so their inheritance was the money that was brought into the, into the temple on a uh, yearly basis. But the other tribes had made Jeroboam king. Now Jeroboam has a problem. Jeroboam is the king of the, the ten tribes to the north. And he's got a problem because God had commanded that three times a year all the males in Israel were to go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And God timed those things that at a periodic 
spaces in the, history, or in, the, in the yearly festivals, these men were all to go to Jerusalem. And God promised them, look, when, you, when your men all go to Jerusalem, I will watch over your land. I'll watch over and protect your things for you so that the nations around will not come in and covet and take what is yours while you're gone. And Jeroboam knows this. And he also knows that if his people, all those ten tribes to the north that are used to going to Jerusalem, if they continue to do this, eventually their hearts may be turned back to Rehoboam. And you know what? When that happens, his life is going to be forfeit. They're not, he, his, it's not going to be worth anything anymore. So what's Jeroboam going to do about this? Let's read, start reading in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, starting in verse 25. And I apologize, I brought my uh, New King James that we used at our church along, so if it's a little different, that's why. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their lord Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king took counsel, and he made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. So several things I want to note here in this passage. Jeroboam recognized the problem, that there's no way he can compete with the gold of Jerusalem. He doesn't have that kind of resources. He's a new king, and there's no way he can make a temple or something as glorious as what Solomon had made in Jerusalem. There's just no way. I mean... He didn't have the wealth to do it. It'd be kind of like me trying to compete with building a house on the same level as Bill Gates. Okay? It's not going to happen. <laughs> There's no way possible for me to compete on that level because I don't have the wealth to do that. So how is he going to compete? Or how is he going to convince his people to stay with him and not go to Jerusalem? And he needed a way to pitch this to them so that they, would go, that they would go for. He needed a way that they would accept this replacement for Jerusalem. So what did he do? What did he do? Well, it says he made two golden calves. Now, I, don't have, I have no clue. What is it with calves and worshiping? I mean, on the way out from Egypt... They made a golden calf that was an idol to them. Did they not remember how badly that happened? I don't know, but here they are. They're making two golden calves, and he puts them right next to them. He puts them right in basically their local cities, and he says, you know what? It is too hard for you to go up to Jerusalem every year, although all these three times a year. It's so far. It's a distance. You're away from your homes and family. It's... it's a, very difficult to do that. In, f in fact, I'm going to make something a lot more convenient. Here are your gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, all of those people that heard this had most likely been to Jerusalem. Correct? 
They knew the glory of the temple. There was probably still people alive that remembered when Solomon dedicated the temple, when the glory of God came down to that temple, they knew that God was there. Correct? And they had a choice to make. Were they going to accept the inferior, but was near and easy, or were they going to still continue to do that which was difficult in order to meet God where he was at? They had a choice. And those people, as we read in Scripture, made their choice. They chose to accept what was easy. I, I wonder, as I look at the history of the two kingdoms, kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel, as they split from here, the kingdom of Israel never had a godly king the rest of their time until Babylon took them away. They never had a godly king. Why is that? Recently, when my fellow minister just had a message on uh, the sins of the fathers being visited to the children. It's not that God punishes our children for our sin, but our sin lays a stumbling block in front of all the generations that follow us. And is it true that these people who knew the glory of God, they knew what was there, they knew the truth that was there, they deliberately turned their back on that and accepted the inferior replacement. Did that set something in motion that their children were never able to overcome? It makes me think. The people left the glorious relationship with God and an entire temple of gold for a little golden calf. You know, where did Jeroboam get that idea? It says here that he took counsel. And I think this is so important, brothers and sisters, where are we getting our counsel from? Because I believe when we cease to worship at the altar of God, we will become mentored by the devil. I really firmly believe that. When we choose to stop worshiping the truth of what we know God is calling us to do, we will start to become mentored by the devil in our lives. Because you know what reality is? This is exactly what the devil's been doing to us from the beginning of time. You know, Satan knows that there are things that God has created for our glory and for our benefit that there's no way he can compete with that. He can't compete with the glory of what God has designed things to be. And so what does he do? He only can offer us cheap things that are easily attained. I mean, think about when Jesus was being tempted by the devil. What were the things that, that Satan used to try to entice Jesus away from the mission and away from the burden that Jesus had in his heart, away from the fellowship he wanted to have with God during his time of fasting. What would he offer him? Free, free cheap bread. Look, you can, you can just make these stones into bread. Why not do it? He offered him a kingdom that he didn't have to die for. There was no pain. There was no struggle. He could just literally just make a little bow on his knees there and all, instantly he would have 
a, a kingdom, a cheap kingdom, an easy kingdom, just, just a little compromise. And it's the same thing that Satan does for us today. He, he cannot offer us the gold of Jerusalem. All he can offer is a cheap replacement. And so I, as I, I like to look at this in several, and look at several areas that I think that we face today, because I don't know about you, but as I read this, I look back and I, how could they be so blind to give up the glory of Jerusalem for a golden calf? My head explodes. I, I just can't fathom that. And yet when you start putting it in what we face today, I think it's very, very easy to understand how easily we can be swept away. And so I'd like to look at several areas. The first area I'd like to look at is, is with relationships. You know, when you and I, or well, now you and me, when you and I, when Adam and Eve, mankind, walked out of the garden, they walked away from a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with God. They talked face-to-face -face with him. They were created for this kind of fellowship. They longed for the relationship that they had before. God created mankind to be able to walk alongside with. And I believe that when we, when we walked out of the garden as mankind, that we walked away with a hole that only God can fill. The only way we will find fulfillment and satisfaction in life is when we have that relationship with God again. Now, great, thankfully, we have that opportunity in the Lord Jesus Christ, correct? We have the same ability that Adam and Eve had, not to see him face to face, but to have him in our hearts and commune with him personally, the same way they did. We have that privilege today. There's nothing in this world that can compete with that. It's kind of like that relationship is the catalyst that brings everything else into focus. And Satan knows that. And there's nothing he can do to compete with that, but he offers us easier replacements. So what is, what is the golden calves that Satan tries to replace it with? You know, he comes up with these kind of type of sayings. It's too hard to serve such a demanding God. I remember back when I was oh, in VS work, and God was trying to lay his finger on my heart. There was things in my life that I had not fully surrendered to him. And I remember one night walking down the, the lane to go do the duties that I should have been doing all week, but had been negligent in doing so, and I remember being angry. Is this really how frustrating the Christian life is? Why don't I just give it all up right now? I can go into town. The lumberyard offered me a job last week. I can go get a job and just be done with this. This is too hard. Where do you think that logic came from? But I also remember that night so clearly the quiet voice of God coming and saying, if you do that, you will never sleep in peace again. See, I remember what it's like. I knew what it was like to lay down on my pillow at night and know that everything was clean between me and God. That if the Lord came back that night, it would be only joy, no sorrow. I knew what that was like. And the Lord reminded me, 
Are you willing to give that up? Are you willing to let that go? So Satan knows he can't do that, but he offers us some other cheap replacements. All right, and oh, let me back up. Satan says, you can't be perfect. You can't please God all the time. Pleasing God is hard. Let me offer you some cheaper replacements in that. And uh, because what he does is he offers us some other gods that are a whole lot easier to manipulate and control and to build relationships with instead. And you know, when I look at that, I, I think back to when I was active on Facebook. I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of friends that I could interact with. And you know what? We had some spiritual conversations. I'm not saying there's nothing good that can come on Facebook. But I am going to say, I think it is one of the cheap replacements that Satan gives us to try and steal our passion from the true relationships that call us upward and onward. I fervently believe that with my whole heart. Because instead of taking the time to be open and real with people, relationships become very shallow, and they never satisfy. I noticed that back during COVID. We were all connected, and we were all lonely. At least that's what I hear from all my customers coming in this door, and what I felt in my own heart. Satan likes to offer us replacement for a relationship with God. He offers us things. And you know what? I think most of us sitting here this morning are probably in the top 1% to 2% of the world in, in wealth. And, and you, you and I look at Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and we, we think we're poor. <laughs> no. We're rich. But let me ask you, do the things you have satisfy I had a man walk in my store one time, and, and he, I told him that, uh, he asked me if I'm going to branch out. My store was getting bigger, and I was crowded, and he said, are you going to open up a second location? And I said, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't think so. And he asked why. I said, because I started this store to be able to provide for my family. And if I start another branch, I will lose time with my family instead of gaining time. And I said, I don't, I don't want to lose that. That's not a price I'm willing to pay. And he says, That's, you're probably making the right choice. He said, I, I, one time, he said, I, have, I had stores in 48 states. My secretary asked me, do you know how much money you're making on a weekly basis? And it was over six digits a week. He says, but here I am. I'm almost 60. My wife has divorced me. My kids hate me. He said, I, I don't have what, it doesn't satisfy. He says, don't lose your family. Satan offers us control to try and deal with that relationship gap that we have if we don't have one with Christ. And some of that is because we don't want to have to answer to God. We, to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ means we're open and transparent with him, which is vulnerable. It, it, it's, it, it's scary. You know, to be completely broken and open before God and to consider thoughts of suicide are so close. True brokenness is when you're willing to let go of everything. Are we willing to get to that place?
And so Satan, he offers these things to us. And the world, and we, as, and we sometimes are people, we've bitten that apple. We sometimes get involved in those things. And I ask you, what have we lost from Jerusalem? Do the relationships that you have in life satisfy? Or are we missing the primary one of the Lord Jesus Christ? I think of another area that Satan has attacked, just like Jeroboam did, and that is the area of marriage. I grieve as I've taught a Bible school and I've heard some people say that the marriage that they see between their parents is not one that they want to have a part of. I heard a young lady once tell me, if marriage is what I see between my parents, then I want nothing to do with it. Now, thank God that's not the standard. Okay? But I raise that as a question. Why is that? Well, I believe God designed marriage to be a beautiful thing. In fact, when I see, pardon me, those of you who are um, older and more mature than me, when I see couples that are way older than me, <laughs> that are still in love, that they still care for each other, you know what? I see the little looks that pass back and forth between husband and wife in their eyes. I see that there might be snow on the roof, but there's still a spark inside. There's still a fire on the heart that they love each other. They've been through a lot of things in their life. And they've worked through the struggles. It hasn't always been easy. But they still are there. And I look at that and I say, now that's the kind of marriage I want to have. But it takes work, right? <laughs> or maybe has your marriage just been one blissful path, you know, of ease and glory from hereafter? <laughs> you know, I stood in front of this altar 23 plus years ago and I said my vows to Amy. You know, we didn't know if we had a year left to live together. We didn't know if her cancer was coming back. She didn't have enough of energy hardly to stand up for pictures. We didn't know what was going to happen. But our, our deepest wish was that we could grow old together. And uh, sometimes we feel pretty old. <laughs> so it's taken work. There's been struggles. But the struggles that we've gone through, her having had cancer again, losing numerous children, losing children here at Rockingham Memorial Hospital, you know, miscarrying them while we were here on vacation. Those things, those times of struggle and hurt and pain have brought us closer together, but it's not been easy, correct? There would have been numerous times that would have been easier sometimes, especially when there's some struggles that we're working through, to just say, ah, let it go. But there's a glory and a beauty that God put into marriage that the world cannot compete with. And yet Satan tries. Satan offers us a golden calf by saying that marriage is too hard. It hurts too much. We're working with some marriages right now that you talk about pain. They have gotten so good at inflicting pain on each other that where do you start? How do you start? And it's, it's so tempting for them to listen to the lies that he says, oh, you don't have to do that. Here, here's some pictures. 
Here's some videos you can watch to soothe your desires. And it doesn't satisfy. It's a golden calf. You don't have to be married anymore to enjoy intimacy. That's what the world says. That's what Satan says. One of my, custom, one of my employees used to work for me, and uh, her husband passed away after 51 years. And uh, I, sat with, I sat down with her after the funeral. We had my first funeral I ever officiated at. And, um, and I said, you're going to be lonely. And there's going to be men who are going to seek to woo you. Don't get married or let your heart fall into relationship with a divorced man. Please. And I showed her from Scripture why. And she says, trust me, I'm not getting married again. It wasn't too long before a man started, when she would come to work for me, he'd go over and he'd make supper for her. So if she'd get home, there'd be supper waiting. One of her old friends, their old friends. And over time, she fell. And I talked to her about that. And she said, oh, we're not going to get married. That's too, that's too much. I'll never get married again. I said, it's still sin. And see, Satan, he offers us that calf. He offers us the golden calf we walk away from so easily. We walk away from the glory of God so easily. I remember being at a work site, and when the men found out that I had never been with a woman, and I was offended at their crude speech, I was still single at the time, and I, I kind of I lipped off to them probably more than I should have. And they thought it was funny. And they ridiculed me. But later that afternoon, Joel, one of the men that had been there, had been quiet that morning, he came out and he said, Japheth, I want to tell you something. He says, I have been on both sides of this equation. I was an alley cat at one time. I was going around to the bars. I was doing what those men were doing. He says, but God saved me, and I'm on the other side now. And I want to tell you, those men have no idea what they're missing. They have no clue what they have given up so they can have their freedom. They can have their golden calf. They don't know what they're missing. And I'm adding in Jerusalem. See, there's always a price to pay. There is always a price to pay when we take the easy way instead of God's way. And the price is extremely high. I see another area that, that God, that's, that Satan tries to tempt us with, is that is the area of the church. You know, God instituted the church. I'm, gonna, I'm speaking to us this morning as I believe these are the people of God. You are part of the bride of Christ. And so I'm speaking to you as that here this morning. You know, God instituted this church to be a gathering of the saints where we come, we gather from the world where we have ministered, I hope, this past week. We've reached out to other people. We've taught our children. We've done the hard work of God's mission to the world around us. And we've gathered together as saints to worship him in this way. 
But it takes effort. It takes effort to be here and to be plugged in. It does not take much effort to show up here on a Sunday morning and never have opened your Bible during the week, never having studied a Sunday school lesson. You have no clue what, what's going on. It doesn't take much effort to do that. It doesn't take much to coast. But for, in order for the church to grow, in order for this church to be a vital and vibrant body of Christ, it takes everyone getting plugged in and pulling together. And that takes effort. It takes work. And it becomes evident over time who's willing to pull and who's willing to coast. I have no idea who you are. <laughs> but does that make sense? And yet, Satan loves to attack this body. And he'll do anything he can to keep you from being plugged in and to sow seeds and tares that divide us. And he says things like, this church is full of hypocrites. I have no idea. Like I said, I, I, I can preach with freedom because I don't know you people very well. He'll say sometimes it's hard to get up Sunday morning and get all the children dressed. I remember what that was like. We had five children under five for a little while. You talk about Sunday morning scrambles. That was a, a circus. And I couldn't say it's not my monkeys, it's not my circus, because they were all mine. And we would get to church sometimes and, and you have spit up on your shirt, you have wet pants from a diaper that overflowed. You know, you, it was just, but you were there. It takes work. And so what does Satan offer us? He offers us excuses, but then he offers us a golden calf. Hey, here, you can watch these services online. I mean, there's good godly men that are preaching in churches just like us here. You can stay at home and you can, you can still be ministered to. Let me ask you, is it the same? Is it the same or is it a cheap imitation? Now, one caveat, we stream our messages, and we do that primarily because we have a lot of customers and people in our community that listen. We have some Russian Orthodox people that are not allowed to miss their home church services, but they still listen to these messages because they said we're being fed. I think there's a place to do that. But we have committed in our congregation that if that live stream ever becomes a stumbling block to incur that we people lean in instead of coming and being with the body of Christ, it's done. Because there is a, a power, there is a blessing, and there is a necessity of being here together. Satan says you can be part of God's universal church without all the work of being involved and submitted to a local body. You know, I'd like to ask, when does a universal church ever elect its leaders? When does the universal church ever discipline its erring members as we are instructed to do? When does the universal church ever um, take up offerings? The universal church is lived out in the local church. And if you want to be a part of God's bride, you need to be part of a local church. Is it any wonder why so many people today have given up 
the local body for something that they do on their own. And then they wonder why they feel so alone in their Christian walk and why so powerless to overcome some of the temptations that they face. I think it's because we've substituted a golden calf. I'm just going to touch on this just briefly. Back during COVID, a lot of things changed. A lot of things changed for a lot of our churches. But it grieved me when I heard so many of people my age and younger especially that found it very easy to substitute the virtual for the real. And I still hear them saying it. And it grieves my heart. Because I think we've just traded something extremely precious for a cheap substitute. Another area that I think that Satan tries to get us at is in our, in our use of our time. You know, I fix and sell sewing machines for a living. So ladies, please don't be offended when I say this, but I come home at the end of the day after helping ladies work on their problems all day and I am tired. Um, you try and figure out their sewing machines, you try and help them understand what's going different, and I come home some days and I am just shot. Well, I have a whole bunch of little ladies at home that have been waiting for Papa to come home. And when I come in, they want to come and tell me all what their doll Micah has done that day, or they want me to read a book that I've read a dozen times before, and it's just in both ears. Now let me ask you, All right, and, and there's some times that I just want some space. I, I want a little me time. Have you heard about that, that thing called me time? I'm really wondering the biblical basis for me time. Oh, there's been times that my children want me to play with them. And you know what's a whole lot easier for me to pick up my phone. And Satan offers us the golden calf of saying, oh, here, check out what your friends have been doing all day. Hey, I wonder, wonder how so-and-so's doctor appointment went. You can message them in the little words of encouragement. There's nothing wrong with that. Or, I wonder if there's anything new on YouTube since it was there last. See, what he's doing is the same thing he's been doing all along. He's trying to take our eyes off of the gold and substitute it for the cheap imitation. I'm sad to say there's times that I know that I have turned away from my children for the cheap imitation. And I've seen the hurt in their eyes that has come from that. Do we wonder sometimes why our children take more delight in their electronic devices than they do in spending time with us as parents? Have we trained them that way? Do we take the time for those relationships? Another area, the last area I'd like to touch on just briefly here is this, is the area of Bible reading. You know, God's word is a special love letter to you and I. My wife and I still have some of our love letters we wrote back almost 24 years ago now. You know, you read back through there and there's a warmth that gets kindled. 
Remember those days. I'd like to ask you a question. Do you love God's love letter to you that much? When you read those familiar passages that you could almost quote by memory, do you skim over them or do you hear again afresh the love of your Father for you? It's precious time. And the devil knows that. And he cannot compete with that. The only thing he can do is try and offer a cheaper substitute again. By saying, ah, you're too busy, you need some more sleep. Why don't you sleep a little more and you can listen to the scripture on your way to church or on the way to work. Or you can listen to it while you're doing your chores. While you're doing something else. I'm not saying there's, there's not a place to fill our minds with scripture while we work. But when it starts to substitute that time for being alone with God, I wonder whether we're at the golden calf or whether we're at the temple when we do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can so easily substitute one for the other. I don't think we'll ever fully get the benefit of Scripture if we're not there mentally and focused on it. Brothers and sisters, we are prone to want things easy. Is that true? And I think that that, that has led us to innovate things that have helped make life easier for us. And I'm not saying that that's always wrong. Please don't hear me saying that we have to go out there and just make things hard on ourselves to be spiritual. That's not what I'm saying. But when we are wired to make everything that makes life, my life easier, to think of that as good. And anything that looks difficult and hard in life as something that we should try to avoid. But I'd like to ask you a question. What did Jesus say about that? If you turn to Matthew 7, Jesus speaks very clearly to that. And I want to read that in the ESV, Matthew 7, because it's a very familiar passage to us. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14 says this. Enter by the narrow gate. In other words, Jesus is saying there's two ways in front of you. There's two gates. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to what? Destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Brothers and sisters, if you and I think that we are not prone to drifting towards the ways that are easy, then I think we have deluded ourselves and deceived ourselves greatly. I face that. I face that, that, that allure to go with what is easy, especially during times of conflict, especially during times of struggle. Do you want to be part of the few? I think we do. I trust that we're here this morning because we want to be part of the few. We want to be those who have chosen that. We need to remember that if that is where we want to go, then we're going to have to be willing to do what is the hard thing sometimes and avoid the path of convenience. There are no shortcuts to the things that matter most in life. There never has been, and there never will be. 
There is always a hidden price to pay for the shortcuts, and those prices are never revealed in the small print. I remember talking to one man that oh, had allowed his children and his family to, to move a little bit, and then it was a little more, a little more, a little more. And I talked to him when they were way over here, and I said, if you could go back to this time, what would you change? And his deception had gotten so far, he says, oh, I would have just done this right away. I would have done it, and I would have done it a lot sooner in life. And the price has been hard. His family is no longer walking with the Lord. There is no godly standard there. And the devil has gained another victory. You know, Jesus said right after these verses, he tells us to watch for false prophets, which come to you as sheep, but they're really wolves gunning for your soul. And this is what we face today. This is what the devil's still coming at us with today. He still comes presenting something, hey, here are your gods. Here is God lived out here. It's an easier way. You don't have to do all those hardships. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be happy. Here it is. Enjoy life to its fullest. And they have enough of truth to just make it sound good. But it's still a golden calf. Jesus said very clearly that the ends are destruction. As I look at this message this morning, I have no idea where you're at. I have no idea. For me, technology has been a big struggle for me. I'm just going to be straight, straight up honest so you know where I'm at. I don't know what areas you struggle with of allowing the easy way to rob you from Jerusalem. But I would just ask, as you go through this next week, would you consider where you're at? Are you willing to go to Jerusalem? Are you willing to do the difficult thing, to make that time to be there? Or has there been other things that have crept in because it's easy? Let us kneel for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for your example to us. Lord, for your great love, you left the ease and the glory of heaven. And you came down. You took upon us, upon yourself, our sin, our, our burden, our weight. Lord, you walked a hard path, not because you had to, but because you loved us. Lord, I confess how many times I have allowed the easy to steal the glory of what you want to do in my life. Lord, I pray that as we examine our hearts, Lord, may you encourage us to see where convenience has stolen your glory from our lives. Lord, help us to have your eyes as we look at that. Help us be willing to do the difficult things Lord, we want to be your children. We want to be one of the few. And Lord, just pray for each one of these people here in your body. Lord, may you help us to grow and to be um, bright lights 
in our community here. Lord, that our example and our testimony and our joy in the midst of difficulties would cause other people to realize that there is still a God in Jerusalem and be willing to forsake their golden calves to be there. Lord, glorify your name through our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.